0: and welcome to the two dogs podcast the first for the 2022 season what an exciting season it promises to be for the club. And for the Past Players Association, uh, you'll get all the details, obviously, through the newsletter of what is going on with uh, the 2022 season and how that's going to shape up. And it's looking pretty good. And so is this podcast uh, that we have for you today with a couple of uh, players that uh, came to the club after having uh, tasted the uh, the absolute top ech- echelon of success at their previous clubs that then, of course, came to the Bulldogs and uh, certainly made an impression uh, both on and off the field over a number of years. I'm talking about Terry Wallace and Phil Malin. More on them in just a tick. We also want to thank our podcast partners and our sponsors for this edition of the podcast. That's Midway Concrete and Garden Supplies. That, of course, is a man we know very well around the club, Dave Boxall. Good to have Dave involved once again with the past players and good to have him as a sponsor of uh, this episode of the podcast. You can, of course, check out uh, the website. That's midwayconcrete.com.au or give him a call on 1300 643 929. So thanks for your support, Dave. Look forward to seeing you at the games uh, during the year. And uh, once again, it's uh, terrific to have you involved with the Past Players Association. We certainly do appreciate it. Terry Wallace. Bill Malin, good mates off the field these days, terrific mates, but they started actually opposing each other, as you'll find out uh, in this podcast. Plough, of course, uh, came to the club in 1988 after tasting great success at the Hawthorne Footy Club, three premierships, a couple of best and fairest, and, of course, uh, then he went to Richmond for a little while, then came to the Doggies in 88, won a couple of best and fairest with us uh, and had a very uh, good time uh, as a player, and then, of course, went into coaching and coached 148 games for the Bulldogs in his time. Uh, is now in the Australian Football Hall of Fame and has certainly uh, carved out a terrific career also in the media post his coaching days as well. Uh, Phil Malin, of course, very popular member of the Carlton Footy Club and a couple of premierships there with the Blues. Came to the Doggies in 85 and uh, jumped on that uh, as part of that terrific 1985 side uh, and into 86. Only played 33 games for us, but uh, certainly made an impression. Then, of course, uh, became a member of the... Um, the coaching panel and uh, the Chairman of Selectors under the Terry Wallace coaching regime. So how that all came together will be explained in this podcast too. So i sure you're going to enjoy this one. A couple of great characters, Plough and the Shark. Terry Wallace and Phil Malin here on the Two Docs podcast with thanks, of course, to our good friends at Midway Concrete. You sort of missed each other. Plough walked in as you walked out and you... You sort of had missed each other until you sort of hooked up in the coaching part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, that was probably a good thing because he, he taught me how to drink and party, so <laughs> it was probably good that he I didn't actually play with him because I mightn't be alive today.
0: <laughs> Can I start this by going back and uh, it's it's almost the elephant in the room, and I don't think I've ever spoken to you two about this together before, but the 85 final series because you were on opposing sides. Yes. Yeah, we were. Absolutely. From my side of it, um,
2: I was still at Hawthorne, Obviously, Shark was at uh, the Bulldogs. Then uh, we played them in what I think was called the old qualifying final, uh, first up at the MCG, and uh, give the doggies a fair touch-up. That day, they uh, they won their next final, their first semi, and we ended up meeting. Them. We lost our second semi, so we ended up meeting them in the uh, in the prelim. And boy, boy, it was a completely different game. I mean, one was in like an eighty-five five-point dropping, and then all of a sudden uh, the preliminary final was a real dogfight. And uh, as a lot of Bulldogs uh, supporters would know, it you know, sort of went right down to the wire. And Lee Matthews in his last season managed to kick a couple in the uh, in the last quarter to scramble us over the line. But that was actually really my first actual meeting with, uh, with Sharp because we played Totally on each other for the
0: entire, uh, entire game. And there was a dogfight going on around us, but there was a fair dogfight going on in the middle as well. Shaky, your memories of
1: that? I had uh, come across from Carlton and uh, Mick, Mick, Mick uh, Mouldhouse was coaching then and, um, you know, I think I was getting towards the end of my days, to be qu- quite honest, at trying to perform at that level and, uh I, I don't remember a hell of a lot apart from the fact that it was probably one of the hardest days of my life because one of, obviously, one of Plough's strengths was his ability just to keep running all day. And um, he was just getting to every contest. And my job was trying to restrict him. And I, you know, I, to be honest, I don't think I was all that successful. I was <laughs> probably, he, he averaged over 30 and he might have got 25. So <laughs> if you call that a plus, well, that was pretty good by my end. But, um, yeah, no, nah, that was, I, I remember the day because I, I honestly thought that if we could have got through that prelim, we might have actually won a premiership, but um, Hawthorne were just too good for us and, uh, and uh, Lethal uh, went berserk in the last quarter, which didn't help
0: you had, a, you had a Lazy thirty three possessions in the qualifying final plough and was uh, unanimously the the player of the match in that one. The, the ninety three point I think it was ninety three point win, and then you, right. had, you only had a Lazy twenty three in the in the uh, in the prelim right. final before you jumped into the grand final.
2: Oh, it was hard work. I, tell you, I I much more enjoyed the qualifying final <laughs> than the, uh, the the dog with Shark on, on that occasion. It was it was a really tough physical game that uh, that was as I said was being played around us, but had our own real real battle in the middle, and uh, yeah, the, the respect grows from that. There's no doubt that that's the case. And we didn't see each other for a long time uh, afterwards, but uh, certainly, there from the playing point of view, there was uh, enormous respect for uh, for him as a player. And I followed, obviously, uh, after that what he was doing uh, at Springvale, just from afar. I mean, as I said, we didn't know each other, but uh, obviously, when you see someone you played on, move on to another role and. Uh, you know, have success uh, coaching at that level. Of those games used to always be on the telly, so you sort of keep an eye on what was going on there. Little did I know at that stage that we
0: would cross bars again. We'll get to that in a tick. I just want to go back there. When you first walked in, you both Premiership players walking into a, a club that hadn't had success for, you know, dozens of years. When you walked in uh, after you stinted Carlton Shark, you had two Premierships under your belt. Um, and a, you know, terrific uh, resume as a player. You walk into the Bulldogs. Shane O'Sullivan obviously was the instigator of getting you there. Well, yep. what did you think when you walked in? Well, well, like I'd come
1: from a club, you know. And we're talking pre pre salary caps and you know pre all of that, and it was you know like Carlton was a you know I'm a I'm a little Adelaide boy coming across, so Carlton was a, to me a, a very big powerhouse club and. Full of full of the Richard Pratts and the John Elliots of the world, and you know, like they were they were big high flyers in their own industries, and um, they were involved at the club. And you know, I just found, um, I, I to be honest, I enjoyed immensely both footy clubs. You know, I've got uh, enormous respect for the dogs. Um, they were, uh, you know, back when I went there in 80, uh, 85, um, they were a working man's club. You know, and I'm, I'm not being disrespectful when saying that, but they were a working men's club. They, You know, their, their coterie groups had, um, you know, self-employed carpenters and motor mechanics and, you know, small business people and Carlton's coterie group had, you know, the, the multi-million dollar people sitting at the table. So it was, com- it was a completely different scenario um, from that respect. But as far as, you know, blokes go... Um, I couldn't have, you know, met and played with a, a better bunch of blokes, to be honest. Um, and, you know, as I did at Carlton, because I think, you know, back then it was, it was for me, it was only semi-professional. I still worked full time, and uh, most of most of the blokes did. So it was training, at, training at five o'clock, training four nights a week, getting home, and and um, I lived in on the eastern side of the city, so. The dogs was a bit more of a travel for me, but, um, you know, I enjoyed my time there immensely.
0: Yeah. Was it a culture shock for you, player? You walked in with three premierships, a couple of best and fairest. You know, you had a, you had a bloody good football resume when you walked in.
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I must say it really was. I loved the, uh, the fact of it being a small club. I mean, that was something It almost took me back to my starting roots when I started at Camwell at the VFA, Uh, such was the difference between Hawthorne and the Bulldogs when I walked in. But I loved that. I loved the fact that you could go into the social club and you you knew everyone's name and you could get around uh, everyone. I I thought that was a really endearing part of the club. But the on-field aspect was the one that surprised me most. It was probably driven by the supporters again more so than anything else. I I remember we'd play games at Hawthorne and we'd win but we win ugly. Yeah, we win by three or four goals. And you go back to the social club, and everyone was disappointed, uh, even though you won. Mm. Uh, where the Bulldogs, I couldn't believe that we were getting sort of standing ovations when we were within two goals of Carlton or, or Essendon or somebody like that. You're losing at half-time and you're getting a standing ovation from the uh, from the supporter base, which was just a completely different mindset to what I was uh, I was used to, really, and. Uh, I must sort of say, that took a little bit of just, um, you know, getting accustomed to and uh, what you had to try to do is you had to try to convince particularly the younger boys around the place that that's not necessarily acceptable, you know, getting a standing ovation for, you know, a performance that's not really where we want it to be. And it would have been very easy to, to come back to the pack and just accept that that's the way that it was there. But, you know, I suppose my... My drive was to try to let the boys know that that wasn't the way that it could be, and uh, yeah, we never had the success while I was there. Shark probably got closer to success in his time than what I did in my time, because it was uh, obviously when the club was yeah really at a low ebb, and uh, yeah, it was the merger, uh, the merger time with with Fitzroy. I can remember standing in the best and fairest when it was announced. That the following day, it would be in the newspapers and the, the two clubs were emerging. So it was a pretty low time. Mick Moulthouse was on his way out. He was off to the, uh, to the West Coast Eagles. So it was a difficult, difficult time. Great time. Really enjoyed my uh, my time as a, as a player there. But it still was pretty tough, particularly that last year.
0: Yeah. That '89 best and fairest at the Cadillac Club in Carlton um, <laughs> was was one of the more memorable nights of all time. One of the most ridiculous venues for a foot, football best and fairest I've ever been to in my life. I think.
2: Well, two years in a row we had one at the Cadillac Club, and you went in there because the Saturday night was obviously the big night. We had ours on the Sunday and you went in and the carpets were squelching. I <laughs> had just locked the doors on the Saturday night. The place absolutely stunk. Then we had another one the year after, which was at Toto's. That's right. Uh, pizza, pizza parlour uh, in Ligon Street where we all had to climb up the stairs to, uh, to get there. So, I mean, I come from uh, functions, bits of what Shark was saying with the Coterie's account, I come from best and fairest functions at Leonda and all these grandiose you know, trophies and everything like that. was Yeah, it was a, yeah, a culture shock. There's no doubt uh, whatsoever about that. But um, I must say, it, it, it was a different time because of the fact that I, I think Shark will be the same and I'll go on to it a little bit with the, uh, the coaching factor. The thing that I love about football is when you go to a game expecting to win every single time you go to the game. You don't always win, and your supporter base can be the same. You expect to win every single time you go to the game. Well, uh, at Hawthorne, that was the case. When I was coaching at the Bulldogs, I think that was the case, but it wasn't the case when I was playing. I mean, you know, it was we've got to do everything right, and we've got to cut them down by a little bit to be a, to be a chance of getting a, a result in the game, and that's a different mindset to uh, to go in a football with.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about how you the coaching thing sort of developed. Would you play? You you coached the reserves um, at the Doggies. That's where that sort of coaching part of it started for you. When did when did Phil Malin come into the to the mix of your sort of panel of people that you had helping you out?
2: Yeah, well, so I, I suppose how it uh, how it worked for me very quickly is just that uh, uh, once I finished playing in ninety one, uh, there was an opportunity to take a role under Terry Reeler. Uh, as the reserves coach, and I jumped at that opportunity to do that. Uh, I was still uh, working full time with Sky Channel and the Channel Nine at the uh, at the same time, but trying to sort of juggle the uh, the two. We had a bit of success, uh, you know, twelve eighteen months in where we won a um, premiership reserves premiership. Had some really great players. The privilege was a part of my premiership team. Yeah. obviously coach now, but yeah, you know, guys like uh, Robert Smith, Luke Darcy, Brad Johnson were all young players that, uh, that played in that uh, that premiership side. So that was good fun to have that opportunity. Um, eventually the, uh, the senior role opened itself up in an interim uh, situation in 96 and I took over the role full-time in, uh, in 97. And it, w- it was interesting. So where Shark fitted in was we needed a chairman of the match committee and somebody to be able to take on that role. Someone had to have good, strong sort of coaching, football background, coaching background as well and it was actually, well, Shane O'Sullivan was the one who got Shark to the club in the first place. It was Gary O'Sullivan uh, who was then the head of footy that sort of suggested that you know, Shark would be a great fit to come back to the club at that time. And as I sort of said, I really never had anything to do with Shark at all apart from our little jewel in 85. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, i have seen everything that he was doing with uh with Springvale and, and I jumped at the opportunity to have him as part of our, uh, as part of our coaching group. So, hence, that's where the, uh, the
1: connection first started and off it went from there.
0: Was it a hard sell to you by Geo, Shark?
1: Um, well, I'd always had, you know, dreams of, you know, what, what it would be like to, you know, be involved at that level as, as a coach. Um, I don't think I've ever had any burning ambition to be a senior coach and I don't think, to be quite honest, that I'd be any good at it anyway. Um, you know, I think, you know, my uh, my demeanour and, you know, my personality and all, I don't think would have lended me to being a disciplinarian, um, you know, one of those types of, uh, you know, people that, you know, would be good would be good at communicating with young people, even though I did it, I, I think, reasonably successfully at Springvale, but, you know, we're talking a different level of football. Um, but um, it it was um, it was just a great experience for me um, and, um, you know, the one thing I'll get out of it is uh, I think that Plough's one of my best mates now. Um and um, that 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 is something that I've got out of it, and and uh, you know we've had some great times together, and and coaching that club, um, you know, seeing considering where I played, and considering how close we got to a grand final, you know, uh, it was only one kick either way, and Plough would probably still be coaching senior footy today, um, and you know that's just the way footy goes. Unfortunately, um, sometimes things are just out of your control, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, you know, I think Plow. Just bearing in mind, Kev, I think Plow. Um, you know, one of his mottos was "Don't let truth get in the way of a good story." <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure I was his number one choice. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Plow can remember, but there was uh, another very, very, very good candidate in the name of Gordon Casey. Who was at the club now case was a, a very very well qualified person and had been doing the you know been involved in the club as an assistant at that point in time and i'm not quite sure of all the politics behind it um but uh, i do know that uh, i believe rick kennedy was on the board at that yeah. point in time was that right plow yeah that's great yeah and um <clears throat> i think um that uh, rick because I'd played with Rick, Rick was my captain when I played at the Dogs and uh, I think there was a leaning towards me um, and I think that um, a lot of, and I think, you know, a lot of the other people that were in the know had a leaning towards Gordon Casey and quite rightfully so because um, I'm just a new boy that's walking in, you know, from, you know, even though I'd played there, I'm, I haven't been there for like five or six years since then and um, fortunately, you um, you know, Plow and I got on really well together, and uh, I think you know I was I was a good sounding board for Plow, and um, uh, Plow uh, I saw Plow develop anyway. You know, through his coaching tenure at the
0: Dogs, that's for sure. Yeah, Plough, your memories of how all that unfolded.
2: Yeah, well, that's exactly how it was. I mean, it was virtually the person who was there on the job versus the one that was coming in from uh, from outside and, uh, I think the, the one thing that I would just add to all that was it was kudos to both Shark and Gordon Casey for making it work and making it happen. And, you know, uh, it was really fairly seamless. Shark might sort of see it a little different, uh, that there is yeah, some, probably some testy times in the initial stages. But uh, uh, from my point of view, it was reasonably seamless. And, uh, you know, I, I think the coaching group come together, you know, so well that it gave us an opportunity, you know, in that first 12 months to really have a, a you know crack at trying to win a flag. And so, uh, from that point of view, I you know I thought it was a, a pretty successful alignment uh, as a group, and uh, Shane 100 added added to uh to the group because you know one he coached his own teams and, and knew exactly you know, where all that stood. Uh, two, he was uh, in, like as much as what. He adds fun to a place he's still a no-nonsense person as well and, uh, you know, expected uh, the attitudes and approaches of the players to be absolutely as they should be 100% all the time. And uh, so I I think that there's no doubt that certainly from that point of view he added an enormous uh, amount to our, our coaching group. And, you know, the players blossomed under that coaching group and, you know, we went from 15th, the third in in one season, so most things went right. You know, maybe a few minutes of the last quarter of '97 uh, didn't, but uh, mostly over that sort of first twelve months, and that initial twelve months when exactly according to plan.
0: Yeah. Did you clash much, or did you did you question each other, in, in terms of uh, you know as it was going along, as it was developing? Didn't clash. I have thought that there was much of a, a clash at, at any stage.
2: Uh, Chuck was definitely challenging. Chuck's been challenging all his life to <laughs> everyone. So I don't think that that would ever uh, particularly change. But uh, um, I, I've always liked people around you who are not yes people, you know, that, uh, you yeah, know, will absolutely have the say good Casey was that way. We had Gally Dempsey around quite a bit. Dempsey, you know, I was never shy on uh, putting his opinion forward as well. But I love that. I mean, that's something that I really... Uh, I really like because it it opens up your own for, scope for learning and uh, just looking at things different ways. And certainly from that, that point of view, I thought Shark was enormously uh, challenging to the playing group and to the coaching group. So I, I thought that was a good mix.
0: Yep. Shark? Uh, question? Well, did you feel that you had, you know, the right to go, hang on, I reckon we should be doing this? Oh, yeah, look,
1: there are plenty of times. Um you know, I I think one of the one of the good things that I found that, uh, to be honest, I agreed with what Plow do doing most of the time, except when he had me dressed up as Batman and <laughs> and, and and things like that at team meetings. You know, there were some sometimes I had to stoop to a level I didn't want to go. <laughs> so, you know, that was the innovative way of of um, trying to get across a point, which I found. Good, and I think the players appreciated that. Um,
0: yeah. So, hang on, explain that. Why were you dressed up as Batman? What, what was this? What was the? Well, I'm that? trying
1: to remember. There were a couple of times when there was we were going in like, oh, I know the one that one that springs to mind is Mission Impossible, and we were dressed up as, you know, as as gangsters, you know, with the black hats and all that. So, and we were playing a side that was on top, and you know, we were, you know, probably fourth or fifth, and we, you know, we hadn't beaten them for the year, and. So there was a different strategy of how to go in. Okay, this is Mission Impossible. And, of course, Plough's, you know, one of his major things was that, you know, that flooding thing that he he invented, which, um, you know, was was uh, changed the whole, whole football landscape, to be honest. But, um, you know, so from that aspect, um, yeah, we had fights on game day, I think, more than during the week where, you know, I would bring up something and um, Plough wouldn't agree with it and, He'd tell me to shut up or come up. You know, I'd come up with the problem, and he'd say, "Well, give me a bloody solution." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't have one. <laughs> so, you know, we had we had those sort of fights, but um, you know, they were they were forgotten pretty quickly. You know, very quickly indeed. Yeah. Can, can I just say one
2: thing? Um, with the, so Darth Vader was another one. I, I was dressed as Darth Vader in one of our uh, one of our teammates. What I tried to do was. Have the guys laugh. Now, we we think about it now. This is all 20-odd years ago, but uh, um, you think about Richmond, going back a couple of seasons ago, and you sort of see them telling their jokes in the huddle and having a a good giggle and a good laugh where all the other sides seemed to be stressed out. Um, During the week, I just tried to keep it as light as what I could, and half my thing was if they're having a laugh at me at my expense or having a laugh at Shark, they're more relaxed. And we've got to be in a better frame to go into that week's game. So uh, yeah, we used to clamp it up a little bit. I'm sure that if you ask some of the players, they go, "What the heck was all that about?" But uh, that was generally the reason for it was number one to get a message across, but uh, number two to have them pretty relaxed with that message that we were trying to sort of get to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, too many footballers talk about the fact that they lose themselves in the anxiety of performance and winning and all that and don't actually enjoy what they're doing, which is clearly what you were trying to bring to the table with that attitude.
2: Yeah, that was a bit crazy at times, but that's, that's past life now, so...
0: So if I bring up 97 and 98, which which one hurts you most, Plough? Ah, uh,
2: 100% 97, because... That was the, uh, the lost opportunity, yeah, there's no doubt. I think we played our best footy in 98, the first half of 98. I, I have no doubt was certainly the best football that I coached anywhere along the line. And I'm not talking about my coach, I'm talking about the players' performance coming off the loss of 97. Yeah, I can remember uh, the footy show one time, the halfway mark of the year, they put up a ladder of where they saw Sam Newman doing it. It was one of his little things where he saw the teams and where they were going to be by the end of the year and he had us, you know, a foot on top of any of the other, uh, any of the other sides. Well, it didn't end up working out that way. We, we uh, got a few injuries and a few guys lost a bit of form and confidence in the back half of 98, but that was the best footy. But the opportunity was 97. There's no doubt whatsoever that that was the uh, the chance. That was the one that got away. Uh, not often in football, uh, you know, are you six goals up at half time and get beaten, let alone in a preliminary final. Not often are you four goals up, you know, early last quarter and, uh, and get beaten. It happened to me in a grand final with, uh, with Hawthorne when Essendon rolled over the top of us and it happened in that preliminary final. But, you know, we only played two quarters that year where we didn't kick a goal. And one of them was in the last quarter of the preliminary final. I think it was six points straight that we kicked. Uh, we're three, two or three points in front with, I reckon, 80 seconds to play on the clock. We run into an open goal, miss it, they get the ball, take it the other end of the ground, kick it, kick the goal, and that's the end of the game. If we kick the, the goal with 80 seconds to play, you just flood the back line and the game would have been over. But, uh, you know, they're all, they're all things... Uh, do I sit back and think, could have I have done anything different? There is not a night that I don't go to sleep for you fan Bulldogs fans, that I don't think about everything that we could have done, should have done, would have, could have, but would have, could have The done has never changed anything. The world is what it is and, uh, you yeah, know, we had our opportunities. Uh, you, know, you kick a couple of those uh, opportunities and you, uh, you play in the grand final and I still think uh, most uh, dog supporters will, will know, but we had the measure of security that year. we beaten them uh, even on their home dung heap out at Waverley. Um, they had injury problems and a, a lot of issues. I think we would have got them if we got to the grand final as Adelaide handled them really comfortably um, in the second half of the grand final, and I think we could have done exactly the same. But, yeah, history was there for Ad- Adelaide, and now it's become... A bit of tragic history, which was the preliminary final run for such a long time. I think anyone that was a part of that time, that's why people enjoyed so much when the breakthrough come. And uh, I was up at GWS when, uh, when the boys finally broke that prelim final hoodoo. And I thought they'd go on and win the grand final in 2016 after that it was just something that had to be broken around the football club. We were quite capable of being able to do it, and the 2016 boys were.
0: Yeah, which one hurt you more, Shaky? You said ninety seven or ninety eight? Oh, definitely ninety seven. Yeah, that was a goal. It was a goal kick, wasn't it? Libbers, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Of course, it was. It was a goal. I mean, you know, we probably should never have been in that position in the first place. But you know, um, that 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 was one that was devastating. I remember walking across the oval and uh, after the game with Plow, and uh, yeah, it was just you know. Cause, uh, Fortunately, the Dogs have since recovered and gone on and, you know, a, a pretty successful side now in the, in the whole competition. But, uh, you know, that, that that was something that I um, I would have just loved to have been a part of, you know, the next premiership side at the Dogs. You know, I was fortunate at, at Springvale to be the coach of their first ever first division premiership, you know, and it's just – I got, I got a, a – you know, as much elation out of that as I did playing in a grand final for Carlton, and you know, I felt the same way. You know, you, even though you're not out there playing, you're you, you're you're totally 100% invested. And you know, and I'm only the, one of the assistant coaches there. You know, so I can imagine, you know, uh, and walking alongside Plow, what he was actually feeling when he was walking across that ground and knowing how close you we were. So that one definitely. Definitely hurt the most for me, Kev.
0: So when uh, when the drought was broken in, uh, and Plow mentioned that, which I still reckon's the most emotional game I've ever seen in my life, was the GWS game in 2016. Yeah. How did you feel when the when the when the floodgates opened in 2016, and they did actually win a flag? How did you feel that day? I
1: was um, I was at a pub with a whole bunch of people. I'm not, were you there, Plow? I'm not sure if you. were there. No, I was working. I you were working. Work? That's right. Yeah, I was there with a whole bunch of people. And um, there were a lot of swan supporters there, and there was there was a table, just a table of dogs, dog supporters, and uh, they were all sort of mates of mine. And they didn't they didn't barrack for the dogs, but that was their team on the day. And uh, you know it was just absolutely jubilation. You know the joint went crazy, and um, you know because everyone's second team was the dogs, you know. And 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 um, I'm glad I'm glad now that that the dogs have have um, shaken that second-team mentality by people who are feeling sorry for you. And now, um, you know, they're obviously just a, a completely different club once success comes into a place and, uh, you know, and then the standards are lifted, uh, expectations are lifted by everyone, the board, you know, committee, supporters, players. And it, and it goes to a new level. And, um, you know, that's what I experienced when I got the carbon. That the expectation was, as Plough said, you win. That's all you do here is we win. And uh, I think, you know, the dogs are really building on that mentality now, which is fantastic for them.
0: Yeah. How do you feel? I know you, you said you're at the GWS game, Plough, but when, the, when yeah. they actually won the flag, I mean, you, you'd built, you were part of building that platform that that, that, that success was possible.
2: Well, it was quite interesting because I uh, I must say that it was the getting to the grand finals. So it was the GWS uh, night where I was in one of the media boxes right above the, the race where everyone came in and having a look at you know, the two docks at, at that stage, Zimmer and J.D. Lansberger, uh, uh, the trainers, the people who have been around all the way back to uh, to my time. There were so many that were still a part of, uh, you know, the innocent of the Bulldogs at the time, uh, what it would mean to Peter Gordon, who was there as President before Smallgo uh, took over. Uh, all those people had been around for, uh, for such a long time. I actually shed a little tear after the prelim win just to know that those all those people were finally going to get their opportunity to go through and be a part of the grand final. Now, I thought they could win it, uh, but... Uh, to be there, to experience the week, to have that whole build-up. It had been so long. 1961 was the last time they had been to a grand final, let alone 54, winning it. So I thought that that was just such a wonderful moment. All the supporters, there was more supporters from the Bulldogs and the GWS at the ground. They made all the effort whether they flew up or drove up. So that was the emotional time for me. I was just wrapped the week after. I mean, I just, what a wonderful game it was. Uh, what, some of the inspirational performances that were on display to get them over, over the line. Uh, I was all smiles, grand final day, but there was a sense of, uh, you know, a tear or two, and a sense of what could have been, I, I suppose, and, uh, but it's so pleased for those that had been through that what could have been, but finally got to, uh, to get there. Uh, that was the most important thing for me.
0: Yeah, what was your what's your favourite memory and moment of your your time as a player or a coach at, at, at the doggies? Plough? Is it? Is it? Is it? Beat the Essendon win in two thousand, or is it? Was it when you were a player? Was there a moment that you kind of think back now and go, yeah, that's the that's the one that does it for me?
2: Uh, I've probably got a couple. Uh, certainly, as a player, my, my time would have been the week after the Rodney Grinder incident, uh, because I think that that's when the supporter base, the players who were there, knew that I was fed into You know, you can have someone come to your footy club and, and, you know, it's just another port for them, you know, to stop at and, you know, is it just the end of their career and they just sort of biding time. But uh, after that knock, which was pretty serious, oh. um, I was a fair mess going into the, uh, the, next, the next week with, um, you know, a mouthful of uh, full of metal and I think that was the moment that people from the Bulldogs accepted that I was there for the right reasons. Um, so that was probably the playing moment uh, that had me accepted at the club. Uh, certainly for me, the, uh, the the other moment was our first finals win in 97. We played uh, at City at the SCG, no, sorry, at the MCG I should say, we kicked like eight or nine goals in the first quarter. I remember Roy Smith burning out from full four and kicking a couple of big bombs. For us to get us off the market you know, They had beaten us badly and Towards the end of the 97 season We beat them the first time We went up to the SCG And they balled us the second time And uh, we played That was just about as pure a footy As what I've seen the team play In that uh, that first quarter of that final and That was probably the time I don't know what Shaggy felt But that was the time I went Hang on a minute We, we might be right Seriously right in this uh, this Premiership race, the way they were playing their footy at the time and the confidence that they were, were playing. So I think from a coaching
1: point of view, that
2: day was the, 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 the real one
1: for me. Chuck? Uh, as a player, um, probably six minutes into the third quarter of the 1982 Grand Final when Helen Domenico ran onto the ground <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, well, here I am, I've arrived. <laughs> he walked straight past me too and it was, yeah,
0: it was pretty close. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight to Bruce Duhl, straight past. Yeah, that's it, <laughs> yeah. 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 She, didn't, she didn't like redheads. <laughs> no. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Surely it's that I goal. Know, you, I've got no hair now, Kev. I know. I had, yeah. Surely it's the goal you kicked that day, that mongrel day when you kicked the goal against the wind. That, that would have to be the highlight of your playing days of the doggies, wouldn't it?
1: Okay, but I've kicked a lot of goals, mate. Well, I can't remember that
0: one. Can you refresh my memory? I think (laughs) Hawkins might have passed it to you, and then uh, yeah, just so you're you're sort of out on that outer wing, and I don't think there'd been a goal kicked up that end all day, and that was the only goal for the day.
1: Yeah, well, and it was. uh, uh, and I remember that now. Doug's amble was like really low. I had to scoot down and dodge around three or four bikes before I kicked it. That's the one. But uh, yeah, that's you remember. <laughs> I remember it now, Kev. Yeah. yeah, I do remember it. But I and as a, an assistant at the dogs, I I was um, I was very proud to be associated when we beat Essendon that year and with the flood and all. You know, I know it mightn't have been pretty for a lot of people, and it was completely different. But um, you know. Uh, we and more importantly Plough went out on a limb that day he went out on a limb honestly if that had failed um I don't know what the repercussions might have been from a you know a media point of view and and from uh even from a player point of view um and certainly supporters but uh, uh all credit all credit it came through and you know we knocked them over and um you know that I find that uh, one of the you know the
0: things that I remember most is that Terry, you are you happy for that to be what you are remembered by from a coaching point of view in terms of that being innovative for a start? Uh,
2: yeah, no problem with the innovation side of things. And I know that was the start of uh, football changing to a, to a degree. I always thought that that year in two thousand, the end of that year was the Olympics up in Sydney, and a lot of coaches went up to Sydney and and looked at transition sports, uh, looked at hockey and the way that that was being played. And uh, Because of some of the changes that had come, Rodney E was doing a little bit of, you know, uh, different work with his side with the Swans and you know, we had experimented with a couple of things. So it, footy changed from that time onwards. It went from a one-on-one sport to a transition sport. There's no doubt that that's the case and that it, you know, it evolved over a long period of time. Uh, Clarko changed it even more when, you know, when he got the Hawthorne But uh, uh, so I've got no problem with the innovation. The game has to move and it has to change. Uh, you know, from uh, generations past, they wouldn't have liked the way that the game did evolve. But uh, you know, we're there as coaches to uh, to win and to, to try to do whatever's best to give our team the best opportunity. And that game does exist. If we had played a one-on-one style of game, we couldn't have been missing that night because if you had a look, and we had about four or five blokes out. We had young kids. I remember when we first, before we decided to go down the path, we started picking a side on the Monday. You know, we had crazy things like it. it was uh, Mitch Hart playing in about his fifth game instead of line-up on James Hurd. Mm. Uh, I think we had Lindsay Gilby maybe in the back pocket. Um, who was going to be trying to take on Mark McCurry? We just couldn't beat them if it was just a one-on-one-on-one-on-one on so one we sort So of, that's when we went, well, what else can we do? How, how can we serve this up to the players in a, in a different way? And that's the way that it ended up. Uh, uh, did it change the game? Well, I think it did to a degree. Um, but there were many, many people that jumped on board. And I think, as I said, 2000 was about the time that the game was going from being a... Part time. I remember Shark. I probably recall we uh, we used to have two training sessions. Those are the players who were still working, and those are the players that had sort of gone full time or were doing school. So we'd get one group in early and get them off and be able to you know, go train at six o'clock and they get off to uh, to work. And then the full timers that were starting to come into play would come into training at nine o'clock and, and do their training during the day. But the coaches went full time. Exactly the same time, and there were more full-time coaches, so there was more time to think about how to play the game differently than what it was ever played before. I mean, when I was running around and Shark was running around and David Parker was a, a lecturer at Berwick, uh Teachers College and Alan Jeans, for me, was a senior sergeant at the police force, so mm. they didn't have the time to sit around all day and see how they were going to change up the game, but uh, certainly the coaches of that next generation were able to do that.
0: Yeah. Physically, Shark has the body after the wear and tear of all the years of footy. Is it good?
1: Yeah, it's not too bad, Kev. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was fortunate, I guess. I had both my ankles reconstructed and cut, you know, how you have your normal cartilage operations and that as you get older. But um, yeah, no, I've survived it pretty well. I'm still uh I still go for a little, you know, cliffy young jog every second day and I lift me beach weights every now and then, and uh, yeah, no, but yeah, no, I've uh, I've survived it pretty well from that. The rest of me is not in great shape. My liver's gone, <laughs> my heart's gone its way out. But um, no, the knees and ankles are good. Kept.
0: <laughs> Clow, you uh, you took an enormous sum, I and you mentioned the Grinter incident. You, 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 uh, your knees, uh, your body used to throw yourself under packs at a million miles an hour and have people falling on you and people punching you. How, how's your body these days? You're looking a million dollars.
2: Uh, oh, thank you, thanks <laughs> again. But uh, no, look, it's uh, um, knees are not not flash. Um, I haven't had to go through the stages yet of a, a knee replacement. I nearly got to that stage uh, 12 months ago, but I'm not doing the cliffy, uh, runs anymore. I'm, I'm a walker now, uh, but I'm, I'm doing uh, a couple of hours a day, so uh, I still sort of enjoy getting up and down the hills around Kangaroo around where I uh, where I live and. Can sort of manage to do that. The pounding of the road which is just too much for the uh, for the knees. I've had my right knee. I think I'm up to operation number eleven oh, on God. it. So uh, so it's it's hanging in, but uh, it's otherwise otherwise the body's
0: pretty good. But uh, yeah, just uh, the right knee gives me a little bit of grief. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much for spending some time talking to us on the Two Dogs podcast. We really appreciate it, and look forward to seeing you at the games cheering for the Red, White, and Blue. Good, on
2: your well, good, good luck to the club for the, uh, for the year too. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, lost grand final, plenty of uh, plenty of retribution out there and, you know, they look good enough to be right up there again. So, uh, so good
0: luck to everyone. A couple of great characters and I'm sure <laughs> you just see full and dressed up as Darth Vader and, and uh, the sunglasses, all that stuff. Uh, good times, and we look forward to seeing them uh, uh, during the 2022 season uh, in uh, in the Victory Room, as part of uh, you know the Past Players and Officials Association. They'll be they'll be there in all their glory uh, during the uh, the year, cheering on the boys. Uh, So I look forward to seeing plough and shark uh, there. And uh, thanks once again to our podcast partners, our sponsors for this particular episode of the podcast. And you'll now see Dave and the team from Midway Concrete in the room during the year. So we thank them for their great support. Midway Concrete, that's midwayconcrete.com.au. Give them a call. Uh, Garden supplies might be what you're after. one 643 929 Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Two Dogs podcast. Looking forward to the 2022 season. It's not that far away. Go the doggy. Oh, the game. But you can't be-